readings, books, and music. In today's episode, The Comics Question, with Bernard Calio interviewing Sarah Firth on the topic of Eventually Everything Connects. The book is Firth's debut graphic novel, a collection of interconnected visual essays created over eight years. Firth invites you into her wild mind as she explores ways to see with fresh eyes, to face the inevitability of change, and to find freedom in sensuality. Here's Bernard Calio to introduce. Welcome to the Readings Podcast. My name's Bernard Calio, and I do the bit of the Readings Podcast, which is all about comics. So this is part of a series called The Comics Question, where I get to pose the comics question, which is basically why comics, to excellent, excellent local comic book makers. The excellent comic book maker in the studio today is Sarah Firth, whose book, Eventually Everything Connects, is out right now. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you for having me here. Congratulations on your on your book. Thank you. It's weird. It, well, it, the book is weird. It's You're weird. right. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mainly because it's, it's a book of essays. Yes. Eight. Eight essays. Eight essays. Oh. Interconnected essays. So the promise of the title absolutely bears out. Where does this saying, quote, come from, everything eventually connects? A quote from Charles Eames, who is a very famous mid-century designer mm-hmm. in America. It is a quote of his. Uh, I grew up with architect parents, landscape architect and architect parents. And so I had a lot of sort of design thinking and design sensibilities Im- imbibed, imbued into me. And so it comes from that. And it's just something I've been very interested in since I was little, which is like, how do different things connect? And that could be lines of thought. It could be associations. It could be very literal chains of cause and effect. It could be a supply chain. It could be a biological system. You know, there's all these different ways. You know, I'm just interested in how the reason why it's not everything connects, it's eventually everything connects that's of interest to me is that there can be non-intuitive ways that things connect that are surprising. And I feel like in the world today where everything's very complex and woe, that kind of non-intuitive connection between things is something that's very relevant and interesting in both positive and devastating ways. Yeah, right. Yes. I was just thinking the word reassuring was just turning up in my head, but of course also (laughs) devastating is, as as you say, a... uh, It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag of lollies. So I just wanted to pick up on you because of course uh, comics are a connection art form a lovely connection art form um, where they connect words and, and pictures, mm. of course, but also design and icons and then more realistic drawing. And I know that you are a graphic recorder. Like yes. this is one of the things that you do in your life for work. It's what I do for money. For money. For and money. for love. And for love. And, and for, for love. Money. And love and money. And love and money. <laughs> and what, what, what is this? For the, for, the read, for the reader back home, for the listener yes. at home, uh, cycling their bike along, what, what is a graphic recorder? Is well, it? graphic recording uh, typically takes place in a a forum, in an event, in a design session where people are talking, throwing around ideas, telling stories. And I come and I create big visual maps. And so I map out key points, the synthesis of the conversation. If you imagine a kind of scale of stenographer, which is capturing the exact words Mm. to a minute taker who's taking kind of the key action points, I'm kind of more aesthetic and vibey and, you know, thinking about 
what are the key takeaways for participants? You know, I'm listening for what is said in a room, but also what's not said. I'm not a completely unbiased listener. I always come in with an intention of, you know, what am I listening for? Who am I capturing information for and what will be done with it afterwards? And what is done? Do people take it away oh, on there? All kinds of things. Uh-huh. Yes. So, for example, if I was doing a design brainstorm, you know, we might be co-creating a governance model or a um, conflict resolution map and that gets taken forward potentially in legal proceedings or a community information share or, you know, all kinds of things might just get put up on the internet as a nice thing to look at that's cute. To, to say we did this we did and this. These, we had these ideas. And... Yeah. As a, as a thing, what's so useful about it is that it's a, I don't know about you, but if I go to a lecture, I might love it. But then when I'm thinking, what did they say? I can remember three things. You know, oh, three. You can remember three. You know, You're amazing. <laughs> whereas if I take, whereas if I take notes or sure. if I'm doing graphic recording, yeah. I have much better retention of what was said, and also I create mnemonics, which are sort of visual anchors. Yes. So one of the speakers might have made a joke about, "Oh, I spilled my water." Yeah. I'll put that in there, even yeah. though it's not relevant in inverted commas, because mm. th- for anyone who is in the room, it jogs their memory. They're back in the room. You know that sort yes. of stuff. So I think about that a lot. So it's a, yeah. So there's that sense of like a physical notation of the of the conversation even, you know, yeah. and that's that I think about comics that they're a remarkable thing as, a, as opposed to just words. If you say Marjorie entered the room in writing, sure. But if you draw Marjorie entering the room, you got to draw the sort of door that she, or the space that she's coming into and the, like. And it, her mood. Yes. Who is Marjorie? Who is Marjorie? Yeah. There's yeah. A, there's, it's an incredibly, it, it requires a lot of imagination through the pencil or through the stylus. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. And also images, I can't quite remember the science of it, but I think that like your brain can recognize an image so much faster than words. Yes. So for example, with a graphic recording, there are key things that I might make visual so that they're kind of very impactful anchors. And then I'd add text to kind of elaborate yeah. on what that is yeah. or details or metrics or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, yeah, that sort of more wordy, numbery sort of stuff can sort of live on or be anchored to a, a rock of, of, of yeah, visual Yeah, 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 exactly. Per, I love that analogy. It's like if you go into a room, there's different objects on a bench, like a bottle and a hat. Mm. Straight away, you know, it's a bottle and a hat. And mm. then you can look at a little label that's attached to the bottle and it says, this was made in 1621 and yeah. found in the coast waters and, you know, that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay, great. What's the connection? Between the graphic recording and these essays, is there a connection between graphic recording and these? Because a graphic recording is sort of a a one big butcher's paper sort of piece of... Yeah, typically graphic... Well, they're very much the same thing. They're words and pictures, telling stories, communicating information. I personally draw the line between comics, graphic novels, and sequential narratives and graphic recording in that sequential narratives tend to be in books. They tend to be... Uh, over multiple pages, and they're in sequence. Yes. Whereas a graphic recording can be more like a map where there's no right way exactly to read it. It's more spatial, a bit more like an infographic, let's say. So it becomes potentially less sequential. I have done graphic recordings that are sequential. For example, showing a process of like, how does a person come from here to call this number, to go to this place, mm. to fill this form, whatever. Mm. So there's really a lot of overlap The other main difference to me is that comics tend to be done sitting at a desk with one person typically, whereas graphic recording is very like ad lib, live, in the moment, less planning. It's very kind of organic. It emerges. That said, you've picked up on an interesting thing, which is 
I don't plan my comics in the way that a lot of other people do. And I think part of that is just my neurodivergence. Like I have aphantasia, which is I don't have visual pictures in my mind. Like if you say, imagine a beach, I don't Mm. actually have a beach in my mind's eye. Mm. I can hear seagulls, I can hear the water, I can touch the sand and stuff, but I don't have the image, which means that often with a comic, I'm trying to get down sense information rather than oh yeah, this this scene's going to look cool where this guy comes here and then goes there and I sort of, I don't have the ability to plan it out. So I sort of spew on the page and see, I don't know what I'm going to draw until I draw it, yeah. kind of. And so that's kind of similar to graphic recording yes. in that immediacy. And was that a challenge when you were making a book? Yes. The answer is yes, folks. That's the answer. Oh boy, yes. <laughs> Oh boy, was it. Very. Okay. I don't know. Did it start as one big essay and, and chunk down to eight or is there something to be said about that, do you think? Or? It felt like hundreds of cats running around and me trying to catch them and put them in their homes. Just a wild mess. And then eventually, you know, I started to cluster the cats and go, oh, these are all black cats. Mm -hmm. These are all tortoiseshell cats. Okay, these black cats together could be an essay. (laughs) These tortoiseshell cats seem to be getting along. They could be another one. That Even that's too straightforward. That makes it seem really simple. It was very complicated of like me having a feeling and memories of something and wanting to capture it and wanting to put this and this together, but not knowing how. So I don't know how to describe it other than it was a mess. A mess, but yes. And that's one of the things I think that the book does is it, it, I mean, it's got uh, essays about uncertainty on the cover. Mm. It's also, uh, I would say, yes, definitely the uncertainty. I would say almost more for me, it's a book about making friends with mess or being comfortable with mess. Pleasure. Yes. In in mess. Yes. Yeah, I I actually like that because to your point, making friends with mess, as I would write the pieces, I'd often hit a point where I was like, this is what I think and believe, or this is the end of the story. And then I'd go, well, hold on, it's not. Mm. What about this other thing? And obviously lots of those kind of divergences got cut because you can't just do that forever. Obviously you need to make a story. I was just aware of how much that phenomena exists in everyone's lives. Mm. Of you'll be like, it's like this, and I am this kind of person, and then a little door will open out the side. It's like, well, what about all this? And you're like, oh yeah, oh, I don't know. That's an interesting pickup. Yeah, I that makes me think that one of the interesting thing about there being eight essays as opposed mm. to it being one long essay is that it does allow for that bumping up, boats bumping up against each other in an ocean sort of feel. Mm. Uh, not that they contradict each other but that you keep getting these and you make this avert in the book you know what is a Sarah you know what is a me and it's an incredibly diverse and 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 many many angled being living living yep we get that sense I guess from the well that's good that was my hope I guess it's like in my mind this book is very much a kind of book about philosophy and when I say like eight essays on uncertainty to me uncertainty is like the beginning of any kind of philosophical inquiry of like why is this like this what is this what is that why do they this what is good what is bad what should one do how do you make sense of different things and part of why I have made eight different essays is to me they're kind of different lenses so like you said there's a there's a chapter that is about pleasure and sensuality and when I put that lens on what do I see and then there's a chapter that's about cognitive bias and and optical illusions and it's like well when I start thinking about that what do I mm-hmm. see or what do I not see and so for me it felt like the most kind of epistemologically honest thing was to kind of change lenses because each lens or pathway has things that are missing. Yes. And so I want to try and kind of 
shift through those. And these were kind of the big main lenses or themes that I am interested in or that occur a lot for me. Yes. And that emerged out of a Five-year process? Oh, eight. I wish eight it was year. five. And eight. Well, that's that's pretty neat, yeah. right? One, one essay. It's basically one essay per year. Yeah. yeah and, no. and what's funny is when I first embarked on this book, I was like, oh, yeah, I work pretty fast. I can do this in a year. Yeah. No worries. No. Yeah. <laughs> eight years later. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of feel like it needed that time as well. Like, I don't feel, like, bad about that. Mm. Most people I know who've done big graphic novels, it took sort of 10 years. Yes, so, yes. You I, know. Was that, I launched the other night and the person said, I thought this would be a year and yeah. here we are eight years later. So it's a very familiar story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's much more of an extreme sport than I was expecting. Yes. Okay. Go well. into that. Well, it's just the endurance, the amount of work, the amount of changes, you know, and the challenge that any author would have who makes a longer work is like, you can't hold a longer work in your head. So how mm. do you come to understand it? And as it grows, different things change. Mm. Like it's like a, it's like a puzzle, a yes. mega, mega puzzle, you know, and this is where Kill Your Darlings comes from is like, you'll often have a piece at the beginning that's great. And then by the time you've kind of got to the end, you're like, oh, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. It's got to go, oh. <laughs> you know, and then you're like, what needs to go there now? Yeah. With any writing, there's this kind of puzzling element of, you know, you're serving a story. And so you do have to kind of rework and change things. Which is enjoyable, but just frustrating and hard work. Sure. Uh, you're, so you trained as a sculptor. Yes. And when you're talking about this, I'm thinking what it makes me see in my mind is less an editing process. And we'll talk to, the, talk to that in a minute. But, but more of a sculpting process in terms mm. of what is the shape of this thing and mm. what is what works in the whole bit. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that sort of... yeah. I would say that I'm a like multimedia sculptor conceptually, which is that like I'm not just like a. You was know, it ice sculpture that you were talking about? No, that was that was uh, Briar and Rachel were talking about their ice sculpture Fantastic. backgrounds. Best, but yeah. it's, there, there's actually an interesting thread between ex ex, ex sculptors, ex sculptors and comics. I that love this. We don't this. have time to go into. We today. don't. We'll have to come back. If we get Nelson in again, and we'll, we'll have another chat. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. To me, it's like it's a mix of welding, which is additive. Yes. And bending and shifting and malleableness and a bit of clay, but then also like a bit of wood where you've got to cut it exactly and you've got to fit it exactly. So there's, to me, this very multimedia-ness that's, again, just messy, mm. as opposed to the Michelangelo idea of like, David was just in the rock and yeah. I released him. Yeah, you, you took away everything that wasn't Yes. Uh, the no, essays. I don't work like that. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish. I'm sure, I'm sure some people do and it's like, what a blessing. But no, not me. I'm like, a, I'm like rolling around in the mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slipping yeah. over, trying to get up, <laughs> fall over again. Yeah, yeah. The book is published by Joan Press. Press. Yes. Joan Press? Joan Press. So Joan Press is the creation of Nikia Louie, who is an amazing Indigenous activist, actor, famous glamazon, just amazing powerhouse, playwright, like, what doesn't she do, uh -huh. basically? She just went, you know, I'd really like to start up an imprint. So this imprint is part of Alan and Unwin, and she started this imprint. It's named after her grandmother. Grandmother was always like, you know, you need to read. Reading is such an important part of, you know, understanding life and yourself. And her ambition with this press is to, you know, have more diverse books, different 
more diverse forms, diverse authors, are things that don't fit into the mainstream that are a little bit riskier. And so I have to say, I'm so grateful that she made this thing because I don't know if my book would have been published if she hadn't. So um, I have huge amounts of gratitude to her for sort of taking the creative risk on my work and being excited by it because a lot of people were like, this is interesting and, you know, you're very good, but what is this yeah. and how do we sell this? Yeah. Sorry. And that was quite disheartening to the point where this almost didn't get made because I got so much rejection. Because it didn't fit anywhere. It just didn't fit. It wasn't yeah. like, it's terrible. No. You're terrible. Yeah. It was just like, mm, we can't do anything with this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, which I understand, you know, publishing is business. Yeah. But yeah, I was ready to let this book die. Like I mm. went away and I was chopping wood and I was like letting it go and calling friends and getting ready to grieve. And, you know, it's, it's over. It was too hard. It didn't happen. I gave it my best shot. And then literally during that time, I got a phone call saying, yep, yeah, Nikia wants the book. Mid-chop. Mid-chop. You're about Mid-chop. to- Mid-chop. Split the love. It would be great in the movie. Yeah. That would be a great yeah. moment. Yeah. It wasn't quite as clean as that, but it was literally a bizarre thing of like, I was just absolutely ready for it to die because I was like, this is not going anywhere. Yep. Sometimes you just got to let a thing go and that's going to happen and I've done my best. Yep. And then I was like, no, here you go. Here's a little window. Remarkable. Go, go, go. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And so then- uh, at that point, editors came on or did, yes. was there editing well, up to that? Well, this is a very interesting point. Yes. So even though Nikia is a, a playwright and screenwriter, so she's quite visual and knows and loves comics, we didn't have any comics-specific editors for our team. So I actually requested to contract Erica Wagner and Larry May Harris, who you know, are amazing comics editing production powerhouses. They really, really are. Um, and so it was absolutely beyond lucky to have them come on board. And um, I had huge amounts of creative freedom with the team. And then obviously more of the kind of Alan and Unwin team came in for publicity, marketing and all, all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's lots of people who've worked on the book who I don't even know, Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. the big machine of yeah, publishing. Sure. It was a bit kind of figuring everything out together because yep. it was all kind of new, but it really was a dream team. Honestly, like I had a lot of creative freedom and that was perfect Yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. And it sounds like quite a, enough or the right amount of feedback as well. Yes. The right amount of sort yes. Of- and um, I've had Larry edit my work before as well. So I was familiar with how she works and that was a really good relationship. Good, strong editorial feedback. Yeah. 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 And can you also talk about a development, I think, a development part of the book, which is the Comics Arts Workshop? Oh, yes. How, how that... Well, yes, I can. Impacted. The Comic Art Workshop is a two-week residency workshop initiative program, organisation, I don't know what they are, where people can take ambitious graphic novels and workshop them with other comic artists. It has a selection criteria and, you know, it only happens every second year, I think. Yeah. Delightful way that you apply for oh, this. Oh, yes. Is yes. You- so prior to making this book, I had no ambition to make a book. Okay. Um, I was just making short comics. I quite like the short comics medium form. I yep. think it's legitimate. You yes. don't have to write long books. But then I saw a call out for the comic art workshop and I thought, oh, ooh, this looks cool. I want to go hang out with 14 cool comic artists on an island and workshop comics for two weeks. That sounds pretty good, mm. except the deadline was the next day. Nice. And so I tend to be the kind of person who will just like see an opportunity and just give it a go. What have I got to lose? So I basically fashioned a, a book in 24 hours, did an all-nighter in my hallway, came up with 
a very scrappy hat and threw the hat over the wall. <laughs> and then they said, hey, we like your hat. Yep. Come along. So right. I then went, oh, okay, now I need to make a book. At which point I thought, oh, I can't be that hard. It'll, no. take, it'll take a year. Yeah. But that experience was very, was absolutely formative to me, making this book and falling in love with comics and meeting these amazing people who will be friends for life. Like, yeah. And it really kind of whet my appetite for the desire and also the need for me and other people to kind of write the book that they want to see in the world. Yeah. And I hadn't seen any books like mine and I just, that little fire of like, I think I have something to say and I think that this deserves to exist was the thing that kept me going for eight years. And that thing, the thing that you wanted to see, like you didn't start off wanting to do a sci-fi epic about space monsters. You no. wanted to start, a, you, you sort of wanted to do essays about being in the world. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And I, I'm still trying to figure out how to talk about my work and what it is that I make, yeah. but I kind of always start with like an experience of something that's happened to me or a conversation or some interaction in the real world. Like I make very nonfiction work. Yeah. So I have an interaction that sparks a thought, which sparks an inquiry typically into something that's much bigger than me or has a longer history or is, you know, a theory or whatever. And then following those lines of inquiry, but also making them practical and relevant in a lived sense. And that's kind of what I do even with my little short comics. And they can be quite comedic and silly or a bit more thoughtful, but that's sort of how I think and work. And that was very much the impetus for the book of like, here are these things in my life that sort of hang around like a constellation and I want to turn them into stories or turn them into something because mm. I think that for me, some people say, oh, how can you make work that's so personal? Isn't it? Don't you feel really vulnerable? And it's like, well, of course I do. But also I've been helped so much by other people's work that's been profoundly personal about very real things that are relatable and, you know, obviously different lives and things, but the bravery of other people talking about things, particularly things that are taboo or difficult or more real, I've always found very heartening and makes me feel part of the human community and that feeling has given me so much joy that it gives me courage to do my version of that in the hope that that connects with someone who needed to hear that one thing and you know mm. in ways you can never know yeah right so yeah, yeah. into the world yeah and, and <laughs> yeah you made the book on an iPad. I did. Yes. I love working on my iPad. Um, I used to work on paper with ink and it just requires so much additional editing and changing. Uh, I just love the iPad. It's in layers. If I do need to edit things, much easier. I use Procreate, which is a program. Love it. Highly recommend it to everybody. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely the most enjoyable part of the entire book process was the drawing and working and coloring on my iPad. I was thinking about that as I was writing in here today in the heat and thinking, I wonder, it, is it messy enough working on it? Not messy enough. I, I, I suppose what I really want to say is, you know, do you feel like I've been on this iPad, which yes. has been lovely, and now I want to make a canoe or something yes, like that? Yes, a little bit. Yeah. I, I actually had to take my physical activity very seriously whilst writing the book. So I would get up and walk for two hours every day before I so I'd have like eight to 10 hour days of working on the book when I was going really hard for it, but I would have to do lots of physical activity before sitting and also after sitting and go and like lift weights and just be sweaty and messy and alive because it is very, very small and narrow and in a little <laughs> tiny flat screen. And also for me with the Aphantasia stuff is like when I work on an iPad, when I turn it off, 
I feel like, where's all the work gone? gone? I've done nothing today. It's gone. <laughs> so I had to print out, uh-huh. I, and this is not very eco-friendly, but I would print out the pages and stick them up on the wall as I went so I could see what I had done. And even still now, my house, my book is occupying my house. Whoa. I need to take it down, but I'm still, I'm waiting for the book to come out and then I will take then it down. Then you can take it down. Yes, very much to your point, working on an iPad can feel very small and hunched mm-hmm. yeah you're reminding me of um was it, is it memory palaces that, that people used to do in the you know the roman times or yes. whatever they, they'd put text they'd imagine when they were trying to remember a speech that they'd imagine it on a bit of on a ruin or something like that and so they'd walk through the ruin in mental yes and yes to, to, yeah so it sounds like your house is a sort of a, an actual <laughs> memory, pal- memory palace it's an extra brain basically my house is my memory palace but in real life in my mm, house right. because a, I can't recreate it in that's my right. mind. Yeah, that's- <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Just finally, I'd like to just, because I, I was astonished and delighted by how many quotes there are in this book. You know, Rebecca Solnit turns up and and beautiful Oscar Wilde is in there. Like they litter, they litter, they litter it beautifully. It's like quotes on walls. Are you a quote collector, Sarah? Uh, or are you a- I'm always, sorry, there are a few people like, um, I think her name's Maria Popova. Who yes. who writes brain pickings that's now changed to marginalia? Yep. To me, someone like her is a quote collector, and I'm like, how does she do it? Because mm-hmm. I just I can't understand how. I for me, it's more I'll read something and I like it, so I write it on a post-it note and again stick it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think for me, I'm not a quote collector. It's more that the people and things I come into contact with in the world, whether that's real people or books or movies, or whatever, really influence me a lot. And I really treasure them. So all these things are things I've read and it's just meant a lot to me. And I really believe in this idea that like we get shaped by the people, relationships and information that we have access to. I didn't magically come up with something. It's sort of filtered through me. And so I wanted to do the kind of uh, intellectual honouring of these are the these are the people and thoughts in space and time who have impacted where I've arrived at now. Interestingly, though, the amount of work it took to get copyright permission for each of the quotes was phenomenally painful. (laughs) And I learned why people do not quote songs in books. Uh So for the Bo Burnham song, which and he's a um, comedian film producer, it costs $550 to use two lines of a song. Wow. And I was so committed to it that I pay, well, I will pay that from royalties. But I just had this, it's a bit of a dark thought, but I was like, I understand why people plagiarize now. Because to do <laughs> the correct thing and follow all yeah. this up was a, you know, part-time job, yeah. frankly. Yeah. And it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And I just thought, oh boy, I yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. But it was very just kind of important to me to honor all these different creatives. And also... There are various theorists that I love and like the fact that I asked them, can I use your quote? And they were like, oh, what's this book you're making? And I can send them a copy of my book. You know, it makes my heart explode with joy that they even know it, that I exist. That's great. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, let's um, let's end on that wonderful note. You can go back to your house fluttering with uh, (laughs) with post-it notes and and printouts of the book. Uh, Not for very much longer. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, congratulations on on, on the book. And thank you for coming and talking to us on the Readings Good to chat. Love Readings. Yay. All right. Bye. Bye. Eventually, Everything Connects is available via all reading stores and from our website, We'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. 
The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. This episode was recorded by Nelson Matthews. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins and Bernard Calio, respectively. The show is recorded on Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation. And on behalf of Readings, I would like to acknowledge traditional owners and pay earnest respect to elders past, present and those to come. Thank you.